This is Billy Bates, and thank you for tuning into my podcast. Any resemblance between events, places, and persons, living or dead, in this story is purely coincidental and a figment of your imagination. Like my mama said, you know better than to make up stuff like that. Hilda's Work Camp Until I became a young adult, I lived in a stark black and white existence within my family. In our home, even the youngest child was given one and only one chance to do whatever he was charged with doing perfectly the first time. It wasn't until I left home that I learned that there were actually gray areas in life and that it was perfectly acceptable to make mistakes and learn from them so I could grow as an individual. My maternal grandparents lived off the land their entire lives. My mother, Hilda, her three sisters, and two brothers were expected to work on the farm alongside them after school and in the summers from dawn until dusk. She often told me how much she hated being in the country and that she would never live there again. It's so quiet there you can hear the ants walking around, she used to say. You look out the window and it just looks like death and destruction. Just nothing to see or hear or do. I keep a photograph on my desk that makes me laugh to myself every time I look at it. It was taken in front of the Christmas tree in our living room on Christmas Eve 1960. My brother Dana, my sister Joan, and I are sitting cross-legged in our pajamas, each holding a wrapped gift in our laps. The wood floor beneath us has been waxed and buffed to a sheen that makes it look as if we're sitting on water with our reflections shining back from the floor. That gleaming floor was no accident. We grew up in a fairly typical 1950s ranch-style house in the suburbs, and my mother saw to it that our home was kept clean and orderly year-round. In my mother's mind, if you weren't working and productive every minute of every day except Sunday, which of course was spent in church, you were worthless. So the floors in the house never got a chance to get dull, and the windows were rarely dirty. My brother and sister and I waxed floors and cleaned windows as frequently as we took out the garbage. Every Saturday, unless we were assigned to a specific project, out came the Kenmore vacuum cleaner and we cleaned the house in the morning and then mowed and worked in the yard all afternoon. My mother would come behind us as we finished each room, running her hands and fingers over surfaces to check for dust that we might have missed. Billy, come back here. There's still some dust on this coffee table. I had a close friend who lived in Greensboro and we would always spend time together when I came home if possible. He would come out to the house and sit there and wait for me while I completed the task list before me. He called it Hilda's Work Camp, and the title stuck. Usually in January or February, probably on the coldest day of the winter, we would get up on a Saturday and she would pounce on us. Today we're going to scrub this filthy house from top to bottom. I can't stand all of this dirt another day. We would put on our winter coats and hats and clothes and she would open all the windows declaring, it's time to air this place out. It stinks in here. Windows would fly open and blasts of arctic air would fill the house. The three of us would line up in the kitchen and Mama would give each of us a bucket of scalding hot water that contained Lysol, a scrub brush, and a stack of dry towels. We're going to start in the corner bedroom, she said, and off we went. Daddy and Mama would move all of the furniture out from against the wall and we got down on our hands and knees to scrub down the backs and undersides of the furniture and the baseboards. After a while, my hands would start to get numb from the cold and I would say, Mama, my hands are freezing and I need to warm them up. Without missing a beat, she would shoot back. If your hands are freezing, then you need to move faster to stay warm. The faster you three work, the sooner we'll be done. 
For 27 years, my father bought appliances for Sears Roebuck and Company. After my parents were married in June 1946, they moved to Atlanta, where he trained at the Big Sears building on Ponce de Leon Avenue and took a streetcar back and forth from West End, where they rented a house. When he finished his training, they moved to Greensboro and he went to work at the Big Sears Distribution Center on Lawndale, just about a mile from where we lived. In those days, everything we owned came from Sears. If Sears had made cars, we would have had one. And because my father bought appliances for Sears, he got a discount on personal purchases and access to scratched and dented models at reduced prices. But that did not mean we had all of the modern conveniences at home. My mother simply would not hear of it. During her entire life, she never owned an automatic dishwasher, despite the fact that in later years, my brother and sister and I tried to give her one for birthdays and at Christmas. She would emphatically state, people who own dishwashers are lazy. You never know if your dishes are clean and you should wash them yourself. Every night after supper, we followed the same drill. I washed, Joan rinsed and put the dishes in the drying rack, and Dinah dried them and put them away while my mother looked over her shoulders and supervised our work. She demanded the soapy dishwasher and the water in the sink using for the rinsing be absolutely scalding. I had to wear two pairs of rubber gloves in order to put my hands down in the dishwater. My sister had to use tongs to dip the plates in the blistering rinse water and place them in the drying rack. My mother would peer between the two of us and examine every single piece I handed over to my sister to be rinsed. Every now and then her eagle eyes would bring the process to a halt. Stop! I see a speck of something on the bottom of that plate, Billy. Put it back in the dishwater and scrub it some more. Likewise, despite my father's attempts to get a clothes dryer for my mother, she refused to have one. I'm not having one of those things in my house. Clothes dried in a machine like that smell sour, she said. Besides, I have a perfectly good usable clothesline, and there is no reason to clutter up this house with another appliance. She meant every word of it. With the exception of days on which rain was in the picture, clothes were hung on that clothesline year-round. I remember my brother, sister, and I taking clothes off the line during the aftermath of an ice storm. Towels that were so thin because Mama refused to spend the money on new ones could stand up against the wall by themselves like sheets of plywood. And let me tell you, you haven't lived until you've dried off after a bath with one of those towels. Our household was one with rules, 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 and structure, structure, structure. There was a time of day to do everything. The television could only be turned on after dinner so my father could see the evening news, and then we were allowed to watch several television programs. We were to take our bath or shower either in the evening or first thing in the morning, but never in the middle of the day when we were supposed to be working. Leisure time was extremely limited. If you had time to sit around, then you had time to work. Once I turned 16, my mother became obsessed with me having a demanding summer job after each school year finished. She would start in on me around the end of March, circling summer jobs in the classified section of the local newspaper and leaving it on my dresser. Because my father worked for Sears, he was able to get me summer jobs there after the 10th and 11th grades. The first year, I worked as a packer in the department that filled mail orders, and the second year, I worked in the same department actually sorting and distributing the orders that were arriving by mail. After I graduated from high school, though, my luck had run out. It was 1972, and the economy was in the toilet. There were almost no jobs of any sort to be found for summer employment. 
At the end of the school year approached, my mother would become more and more frantic as I had no employment lined up for the summer. Finally, on a Friday, a few days before graduation, I came in from school and she followed me down the hall, shaking the classifieds at me in a state of near delirium. Billy, you stop and listen to me right now. In today's paper, there's an ad for a part-time busboy at the Albert Pick Motor Inn near Kernersville. I want you to get up first thing tomorrow and drive out there and apply for it. Now, Kernersville was a good 20 minutes or so outside of Greensboro, and in my mind, to drive that distance for a part-time job that was probably below minimum wage made no sense at all. Mama, that's crazy. I'm not driving to Kernersville every day to work as a part-time busboy. Well, I want to know what you think you're going to do this summer. You're not sitting in this house doing nothing all summer, little man. You're going to work. And I'm telling you, you're going to go out there and apply for that job tomorrow. Mama, I would burn up what little I earned in gas just driving out there to and from work. That makes no sense at all. That's not the point. You need to get this job so you'll be working instead of sitting around here like somebody sorry. You're going. Do you understand me? I didn't say anything else. Next morning, she burst into the room just as the sun was starting to come up and stomped over to the windows, threw back the drapes, and announced, You've laid in that bed long enough. Get up. Your breakfast is ready, and you need to eat and get cleaned up so you can get out to Albert Pick Motor in and apply for that job. Then she marked over to the AC window unit and flipped it off. And turn this thing off. Sealed up in this freezing room. Lord, it's cold enough in here to hang meat. Get up. I'm not going to tell you again, or I'll go get the belt. I showered, dressed, and sat down at the kitchen table. As Mama set my breakfast down in front of me, she began raining instructions. You tell them you can start the day after graduation. You say yes, sir, if it's a man, and yes, ma'am, if it's a woman. Whatever they tell you, they will pay you. You accept it and say thank you. Tell them you like to work hard and for them to give you as much work as they like. Are you listening to me, Billy? Yes, Mama. I finished breakfast and went to the bathroom to brush my teeth. She followed me. You need to hurry up and get out there. There'll probably be a lot of other people applying for this job since there's so few others in town. Hurry up, Billy. Choked on my mouthwash and said goodbye and headed out the back door. I had made up my mind there was no way I was going to apply for that job, much less drive to Kernersville and back all summer for a part-time busing position. She was out of her mind. So I just drove around for a couple of hours and then came back to the house. As soon as I stepped in the back door, she was on top of me. Did you apply for the job? What did they say? Did you get hired? When do you start? She was on my heels all the way to my bedroom. Did you get it? Did you get it? In my frustration, I wheeled around and shouted at her, I am sick and tired of listening to you hound me about a summer job. I had just taken my shirt off, and in two steps, she crossed the room and smacked me so hard on my back that she almost knocked me down. What a filthy mouth! Where did you learn such filth as that? I better not ever hear you utter another word like that in this house. Do you understand me? I don't know who you think you are, but if you keep showing yourself, you're going to get your legs torn up with a switch. And if you open that smart aleck mouth to me again, I'll smash it flat. You just try me. You mark my words, mister. You're not sitting in this house all summer. She spun on her heel and stomped back up the hall to the kitchen. I changed clothes and walked through the kitchen and out the back door without saying a word to her. She followed me out on the back porch. I jumped in the car, cranked the engine, and as I started backing down the driveway, she shouted out loud enough for neighbors at the end of the street to hear, You better be headed to Albert Pick Motor in to apply for that job, and if not, you better be headed somewhere to apply for a job. 
I sped off down the street with a view of her in my rearview mirror shaking her index finger at me and watching her mouth still going. Somehow the gods looked kindly on me that day. I drove over to a friend's house to see her and catch up, and as soon as she saw me, she knew something was wrong. Oh, Karen, my mother is driving me crazy about finding a summer job, and there's nothing out there worthwhile. Billy, you know what? My father is looking for a pianist for the dinner hour in his restaurant. He's right in the den. Let's go in and talk to him. Karen's father owned the Nasherai restaurant on West Market Street. Mr. Whitney knew I was about to enter college as a piano major and had known me long enough to feel comfortable hiring me on the spot. I was to start a week after graduation playing from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. Tuesday through Saturday. I was thrilled. I thanked him and Karen, ran a few errands, and then headed home. As soon as I walked into the kitchen, my mother said, Where have you been? Did you go apply for a job? Mama, I have some good news. I have gotten a job. Mr. Whitney, Karen's father, has hired me to play the piano in his restaurant during the dinner hour each week. She got a horrified look on her face. Well, what kind of job is that? That can't amount to much, and it surely can't last long. What do you think you're going to do during the day before you go to work? Well, I can tell you right now what you're going to do. You're going to work in this house painting, waxing floors, cleaning windows, cleaning out the attic, and a lot of other things that need to be done. So went the summer. I spent my days doing hard manual labor and my evenings playing Broadway selections with sore hands and raw fingertips. Some Sundays I was given time off for good behavior. One Saturday a close friend was visiting. We were sitting at the kitchen table talking to Mama. Well, Jimmy, what kind of job are you working at this summer? It's good to keep busy and not waste your time. As we know, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. Jimmy replied, well, Mrs. Bates, my parents don't want me to work in the summer. They want me to relax and enjoy myself. My mother looked like someone had just held up the tip of a rifle to the space between her eyes. I've never heard of such a thing in my life. And I can tell you right now the three in this house aren't going to slouch around all summer. I don't know if I'd go around announcing that to just anybody. As I got older and moved away to pursue a career, I would still make trips home where I would walk in the back door and my list of to-dos was waiting on the kitchen table. By the time I was living in Atlanta, I was renovating a Victorian house and my mother got wind of all the things I had learned to do such as drywalling, wood stripping, plaster patching, and so forth. She was eager to use my free services. She would start calling me in the spring at my office in Atlanta to find out when I would be taking a week of vacation to come home and work around the place. I never thought much about it at the time. I thought everybody else did the same thing for their parents. My mother would call and tell me what she wanted done on a particular trip home. This time I want you to take up all of that old wall-to-wall -wall carpeting in the dining room, living room, and hallway and refinish the floors. When you come home this time, I want you to plaster all the cracks in the dining room, living room, and hallway and paint. When I returned full-time to Greensboro in 2005, my mother was beside herself because that meant her eldest son would be living just across town. Of equal importance, he would be again available to attend the camp and provide free manual labor in addition to a cavalcade of services only a phone call away. Honestly, as my mama was getting older and had developed some health issues, I was happy to do what I could. I had taken over handling my mother's finances and monthly bills as I found it made my life simpler as she wasn't calling me and wringing her hands with every 50 cents that was spent from her checking account. 
I hired a lawn service to keep the yard up at her house, and every time they came to do the weekly maintenance, she called me. I see dollar bills just flying out the window when they show up over here. How much am I paying them each time they show up? I learned to just let her talk, and then I always answered her with the same remark. It's within your monthly budget. That usually worked. Occasionally, I would go over and mow the yard for her myself, and that pleased her to no end. One particular Saturday and Sunday, I had just finished mowing the yard and came in the house. My mother walked into the kitchen holding her hand up to her throat with a wild look in her eyes. Something's wrong with the gas. The pilot on the water heater is low. Only Mama could find something that quickly. I called Piedmont Natural Gas and they sent somebody out. Unbeknownst to me, the blade on the lawnmower had accidentally hit the gas valve switch on the exterior meter and turned down the flow of gas. The repairman found it and corrected it quickly, and then as he prepared to leave out the front door, he casually mentioned to my mother that the call would cost $50 because it was on the weekend and not regular working hours. Mama threw her hands up in the air and started shouting, $50? Are you kidding me? That's highway robbery. You haven't even been here 30 minutes. She followed him down the front steps and all the way down the sidewalk, wagging her finger at him. I stepped out the porch to watch the festivities. I'm a poor widow woman and barely scraped by. I've had to raise three children on my own since my husband died and do my best to make ends meet, and you want to charge me $50? The poor man could not get a word in edgewise. Finally, he just climbed into his car and turned to her and said, Okay, just forget it. You won't be charged. My mother turned, put her hands on her hips, and with a big smile on her face, she marked back up the sidewalk, and as we walked into the house, she said, Now, Billy, let that be a lesson to you. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. I'm not putting up with such stuff as that. The years passed, and with them, Mama, like all aging parents, began to show her age. In 2007, I started seeing a frailty and weakness in her that broke my heart. She became fearful of everything, and the powerhouse of a southern woman she once was had faded away. She began spending most of her day sitting on the sofa because she was afraid of moving around and falling. Every time I left the house, I was in tears because I loved her deeply, had an abiding respect for her accomplishments in life. When my father died suddenly in 1973, she had to go to work and take care of all three of us, and she did that just beautifully. My mother rarely showed favoritism among us, but I caught her talking to a friend once when I was younger about me. She didn't know that I heard her. The oldest child is always the special one, and that bond in life or death cannot be broken. Mama passed away in 2009, but she would be happy to know that the habits I learned from her as a child continue to live on in many ways. I feel her with me in a thousand ways in my daily life and laugh to myself at those memories every time. As I remove the dishes from the dishwasher, finding one speck of food remaining on a dinner plate can send me into a tailspin. I will stop in the middle of whatever I'm doing if I spot a stain on the carpet and find myself scrubbing it out mercilessly until it's gone. Yes, the apple did not fall far from the tree. At Christmas time, I find myself browbeating myself if my gifts for others are not wrapped perfectly. I sweat over my social skills and manners as if my life depended on it in a day and time when so little of that seems to matter anymore. When I cook, and I do love to cook, I do my best to prepare the dishes perfectly, even if I'm having guests. Anything that does not turn out with a grade A doesn't go on the table. Like both my parents, I respect family traditions and try to honor them and keep them with me. 
I carry over 200 years worth of them with me, and for the sake of those I have loved and are no longer here, I try to preserve them and share them with others. I hope wherever she is, she is looking down on me, smiling and proud. She is deeply missed in my heart with every day that passes. Hilda Perth Weitzel was a beautiful southern lady inside and out, a still magnolia at its best. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in finding out more about me, my writing, and additional stories from my collection, visit BillyBates.com. That's B-I-L-L-Y-B-A-I-T-E-X.com.